Coastal Georgia is likely to see a competitive U.S. House race for the first time in decades this fall. The incumbent, Buddy Carter, is seeking a fifth term and is the favorite, but his Democratic challenger, Wade Herring, has shown fundraising prowess and can leverage Carter's vote against certifying the 2020 presidential election on January 6th against the incumbent. The candidates join the Thursday commute to preview the campaigns ahead. From savannahnow.com, this is the Commute Podcast presented by National Office Systems. I'm Adam Van Brimmer, opinion columnist and a deputy editor at the Savannah Morning News and the host of this twice-weekly podcast focused on news and happenings in and around Savannah. Today is Thursday, July the 5th. On this edition of The Commute, politics reporter Will Peebles talks with U.S. House candidates Buddy Carter and Wade Herring. But first, a word about our sponsor, National Office Systems. National Office Systems has been with The Commute since the podcast's beginning. And they've been in business much longer than that, going all the way back to the 1980s. In those early days, National Office Systems was the last office outfitter in the country to carry office furniture from both of the industry's leaders, Herman Miller and Knoll. Now, a couple of decades later, those furniture companies are collaborating in a new product line, and National Office Systems is one of the first to offer Miller Knoll furniture. In addition to Miller Knoll, National Office Systems remains the leader in the office design and outfitting sector, offering dirt modular interiors, OFS furniture, and 200 other product lines. Learn more by visiting www.natoffsys.com. That's www.natoffsys.com. Now, here's the first of two interviews with Coastal Georgia congressional candidates. We will start with Representative Buddy Carter, the Republican incumbent. I'm joined today by First District Congressman Buddy Carter, who is running to defend his seat this year against uh, political newcomer Wade Herring. Um, Buddy, I came across an interesting stat the other day, and I wanted to ask you about it. Um, Have you ever lost an election? Actually, I lost an election when I was in college. I was president of freshman class at Young Harris College. My sophomore year, I ran for president of the student senate. I came within two votes of winning without a runoff. And I learned an important lesson about runoffs, and that is that you have to get your people out. I didn't get my people out, and I got my butt beat. (laughs) So I learned it early on, but that's the only political race I've ever lost. Yeah, gotcha. And uh, Wade kind of had to run up against that lesson this time around um, uh, with the Democratic runoff. He was going against your 2020 appointment, Joyce Griggs, uh, and he managed to pull it off. And now you guys are in the race. And I I, I found this race interesting, you know, because it it, it was – maybe more so, maybe just more publicized. Maybe I caught wind of it more because I'm covering politics more than I used to. But um, it seems like Wade has come at this with just like a very direct, I am going to beat Buddy Carter. This is the only reason I am doing this sort of goal. Um, And as, you know, the last almost 30 years have proved, beating Buddy Carter is not an easy thing to do. Um, So I I did want to talk to you a little bit about that. Uh, just kind of in general to start off with just from the jumps just so that people if they're watching this video can just get the answer that they're looking for right off the bat. Why are you a better choice for the first district than Wade Herring? Well, first of all, if you look at what's going on in our country right now, the last thing we need is to send another Democrat up to Washington, D.C. to allow with these failed policies of the Biden administration and the Democratic majority. People are concerned. They're concerned about inflation. They're concerned about gas prices. They're concerned about crime. They're concerned about our southern border. They're concerned about 
the, the, the weak policies that, that, uh, that, that are shown on the national stage, on the world stage. They're concerned about all those things. And people understand that policies have consequences. And what we are suffering right now are the consequences of the last election and of the policies of the Democratic administration and the Biden administration. People in the first congressional district don't want to send someone to Washington, D.C. who's going to be voting with Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi. They want to see real change. They want to go back to when we had inflation under control, when we had a growing economy, when we had our southern border secured, and when we were respected on the world stage. Yeah, um, generally in your campaign, I, I feel like I was thinking back to the 2020 run against Joyce, um, and I, I remember uh, it, it not being, you, you aren't a super aggressive politician. You know, you typically don't come out and with 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 uh, attack ads so much as I've seen other folks do. And if they are, it's generally based on policy, right? It's not necessarily um, a personal attack ever or anything like that. Um, are, are you approaching this any differently? You know, like you knew Wade Pryor, is this, is this, is this more personal this time around? No, um, you know, my opponent has decided to, to make an uh, issue out of uh, some things that uh, I don't think should be made an issue out of, particularly our, our church. And I think that's very sad and very unfortunate. But no, look, this is about policies. This is about the failed policies of the Democratic Party and the Biden administration. It's about inflation. It's about gas prices. It's about crime. It's about our southern border. It's about our, our, our lack of respect on the world stage, thanks to this administration. It's about leaving Afghanistan and leaving Americans behind enemy lines, something that we never do. That's what this is about. So, you know, all the personal attacks, and I'm sure that my opponent will be entering into that uh, foray. And, but, you know, none of that's going to make a difference to people. What makes a difference to people is their pocketbook and the economy and what's going on in those respects. So when you're when you're running a campaign, just in general, I guess, um, uh, where does where does where do you put campaign money? Does that go into advertising? Is that like what are the mechanics of doing this? Because um, it seems like you found success in doing it, you know? Well, certainly money is important. It's unfortunate, but it is important. And, uh, you know, we're uh, we're very fortunate to have um, good supporters who believe in our message, believe in our policies. And yeah, we want to make sure that our message gets out and we will make sure that our message gets out. We're taking this very seriously. There are only two ways to run, unopposed and scared. So we're going to run scared. You said that uh, in our first interview about this and uh, yeah, you were unopposed in the primary. So <laughs> I guess you're scared now. Um, anyway, uh, sorry, bad joke. Anyway. Um, yeah. So what are the concerns of the first district in your eyes? What are the issues that you're really going to be harping on that you think will make a difference in this campaign? Again, it's the policies. Policies have consequences. That's why elections have consequences. And right now, our country is suffering from the consequences, the policies of the Biden administration. You know, inflation at 8.6%, a 40-year high. I mean, the gas prices higher than they've ever been. And why are the gas prices high? As much as this administration wants to deflect blame and try to blame it on Putin, try to blame it on the pandemic, try to blame it on big oil, the truth is, is the policies of this administration that have led to this. The fact that this administration declared war on fossil fuels day one when they got into office, canceling the Keystone XL pipeline that canceled tens of thousands of jobs that that, that kept us from being able to, to, to take advantage of the enormous resources that we have here in America. 
all of those things the the what's going on in our southern border i've been to the southern border twice three times in the last two years and I, I will tell you, it is it is it, it, it is a disaster down there. It needs to be addressed. Crime in our cities, the amount of illegal drugs, of fentanyl that's coming across that border, enough fentanyl in our country right now to kill every American seven times over. All of that, and and then the lack of respect that we witness uh, that our country has on the world stage now because of the the weak leadership of the Biden administration. All of those things are what people were concerned about in the first congressional district. Gotcha. Um, and I do want to ask, uh, you've said before, um, you know, you represent everyone in the first congressional district, uh, even those that you disagree with and even those who don't might not uh, share your viewpoints on uh, these topics. Um, I don't know. Is, how much reaching across the aisle are you looking to do? How much how much opportunity do you think there is um, to pull people over from that centrist Democrat viewpoint to your side this time around? Well, I think there's a lot of, of, of potential there, and I think that we've done a lot. It doesn't get a lot of media coverage, um, as you would expect, but at the same time, if you look at just last week, we passed the Restoring Hope for Mental Health and, and Wellbeing Act. That's a mental health bill to deal with what's going on in our country right now, to deal with the tragedies that we have witnessed in Uvalde and in Buffalo all of those things, because look, we've been cooped up for the last two years and it's been tough. It's been tough on people and some people have adjusted better than others, but we need to address the mental health issues here in America. And this bipartisan legislation that came out of the committee that I serve on, the Energy and Commerce Committee, that was voted out of the House in a bipartisan fashion, that's going to help because it's gonna put more resources toward the programs that have been proven to work toward programs that address our students and our young people who need that. I met this morning in, in Long County with a, a group of students who were concerned about uh, what's going on in the mental health of, of, uh, of their community. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, they've had some tragedies over there. They've had at least three suicides that have rocked that community and rocked that school. And, and they, I met with them this morning just about that. And, you know, I, I don't know whether they'll vote for me or not, but they know that I'm concerned and they know that, that I'm representing them and that I'm taking to Washington, D.C., the values, the concerns of the constituents of the first congressional district. Um, and what are the concerns that you're hearing from your black constituents in the first district? Um, and what are you doing to address those? Well, the African-American community has uh, much the same concerns as, as um, uh, the white community, and that is inflation, that is gas, that is, uh, you know, trying to, to work day to day and, and be able to afford gas to get to work. All of them, they, you know, the, the policies, the, the concerns are, are not that different. Um, and, and I think this is where really a wedge is trying to be, uh, to be put in place by my opponent. Uh, and that's unfortunate because the concerns of the African-American community are much the same as the concerns of the, of the white community here in this district as well. Sure, there are some differences though, yeah, wouldn't you say? Uh, there are differences with every group. Um, you know, the concerns of the Hispanic community are different from the concerns of the African-American community that are different from concerns of the white community. That's why, you know, we have to work together and we do. And we represent 
every community in our office. And I do, and I'm always cognitive of that whenever I'm making decisions that are going to impact our, um, our, our district. Um, you know, a, a good economy, a, a growing economy, that helps everyone. It doesn't just help the white community or the Hispanic community. It helps the African-American community as well. And inflation inflation impacts all of those communities. It, it hurts all of those communities. Gotcha. Um, and speaking of, uh, where do you think this race will be run, uh, be won, excuse me? Um, I know where it will be run. It will be in the first district. <laughs> um, is, is it, what, like, what demographics are you going after? What, where, what population areas? I don't know. I, I love talking strategy with, especially with someone who's done it a lot. Um, yeah. uh, where do you, where do you go um, when you're out there campaigning? Is it the whole district? Are there key areas you got to win? No, not for me. Uh, you know, I represent the entire district and, and a vote in Chatham County is just as important as a vote in Charlton County, as a vote in Ware County or in Glen County. And um, the constituent there and their concerns are just as important to me as anyone. Um, no particular, you know, I'm not targeting any group. Look, I've been doing this for a while. Um, people have seen what I've done in Pooler. People have seen what I've done in Georgia General Assembly, and they've seen what I've done for the last eight years in Washington, D.C., representing them. So I have a record to run on. I mean, you know, it would be easy just to go out there and, and start throwing bombs, as my opponent wants to do, and, and, and get personal and, and with the personal attacks. But that's not what people are interested in. What they are interested in, again, is the economy, is the, the crime, the safety of our communities. Pick up, uh, pick up your own paper and look and see about the shootings in Savannah. They're concerned about this. And, and that's what we're trying to address here. I actually wrote about one this weekend. Um, Absolutely. I also had to do that. Um, it, yeah, I, so it, I, I do have a question because the phrase career politician gets thrown around a lot as an insult. Um, why are you not a career politician, despite your 30-year tenure in politics? Well, what I am is, you know, I'm a small businessman. I, I spent 32 years in business signing the front of a paycheck. I, I spent that time creating jobs. I understand the importance of, of the federal government uh, and, and getting out of the way and, and, and overburden some regulations that we see in business and how important it is to get rid of those. I also understand and, and, and make sure that we are um, in the federal government creating an environment in which jobs can be created. That's our responsibility in my mind. It's not our responsibility to come in and micromanage. It's our responsibility to create an environment in which jobs can be created. And that's what I see the role of the federal government as being. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to uh, the Roe v. Wade decision um, that got overturned last week. Um, uh, obviously, you're Republican. You've pretty been pretty vocally anti-abortion for you know, the entire time you've been around. Um, what are your thoughts on that case law being overturned? Well, first of all, let's make sure that we're clear. Um, abortion is not a Republican Democratic issue. People like to make it that, a litmus test, if you will. It is not. I know Democrats who are anti-abortion. I know some Republicans who are, are pro-choice. Um, I don't agree with them. I believe in life, and, and I believe that life won. Life wins with this decision. Let's face it. Roe versus Wade is outdated. It, it was the wrong decision that was made 50 years ago, but 
as science has advanced during that 50 year period, we understand now the humanity of a child. We understand that at six weeks, you hear a heartbeat. We understand that at 15 weeks, that a, a child has eyebrows, eye sockets, and nose. And most importantly, that a child can feel excruciating pain. That's what we have advanced in science in that period of time. Roe versus Wade was outdated. And I believe it's the civil rights issue of our generation. Just as we look back now at past generations and wonder how they could have been so inhumane with some of the things they did, future generations will look back at us and think, how could they have been so inhumane as to allow the slaughter of children to allow babies being killed in the womb? Gotcha. What would you say to the women of the first district who woke up and did not feel that way? They felt scared. They felt uh, alienated. They felt like a government did not take care of them. Um, well, let's keep in mind now what this decision did was to put this back to the states. So it will be the states that make these decisions now. And it should have been the whole time. I believe in strongly in state, state sovereignty, having been a a state legislator myself. And I will tell you that there are pro-life centers available out there. There are over 70 in the state of Georgia. In our district alone, there are over 12 pro-life centers that are, are there to help people and they're there to provide services. So, you know, I would encourage anyone who might be struggling with this, visit one of those centers. That's what they're there for, to help you through this process. Um, yeah, so moving on to uh, congressional stuff, the mental health bill. Uh, I know you wanted to talk about that a little bit. Why is that an important bill and why'd you vote for it? Well, first of all, let's keep in mind that this was bipartisan legislation that came out of the committee that I serve on, the Energy and Commerce Committee. Bipartisan legislation that is called the Restoring Hope for Mental Health and Wellbeing Act. You know, the last two years have been tough, been tough on everyone. We've been cooped up, we've been inside. And some people have reacted better than others. But the mental health issues of our country are extremely important. And that's what this bipartisan legislation that was voted out of the committee in a bipartisan fashion, voted out of the House in a bipartisan fashion, that's what it addresses. It addresses the mental health issues in our country. It gives more resources to mental health programs that have been proven to work, particularly in the schools and particularly for young people. That's what this bill targets, and that's very important. Look, no one in their right mind goes into a, in, into a school or into a grocery store and commits atrocities like this. No one does that in their right mind. That's why we have to be, we have to be diligent in addressing the, the solutions here, and the solutions are the mental health of our society. Uh, you also voted against a bipartisan gun bill that passed recently. Um, it, was it just not in the cards? Why'd you vote against that one? Well, first of all, let's keep in mind, this is not going to do anything to, to prevent this from happening. And as you know, I was um, in the parade in Rankin this past weekend when uh, all of a sudden the SUV comes uh, weaving in and out of that parade, headed straight toward my car that I was in at that time. It is only through God's mercy that no one was killed. No one was killed in that, in, in that accident, in, in what happened there. And, you know, what are we going to do? Are we going to outlaw SUVs because they can be used as a weapon of, of, uh, of destruction? 
And, and that's, you know, this gun bill was nothing more than an infringement upon our Second Amendment rights. And we need to be aware of that. I've never been a fan of red flag laws where you have to go to court and prove you're innocent. And, and also that bill included a longer waiting pe uh, period, uh, universal background checks. It did impede on our Second Amendment rights. And in Constitution, it says that our rights will not be infringed upon. Do you believe the Constitution is an outdated document? No, I do not. I believe it is a leading document that should continue to lead us into the direction that we have in this country. Something pretty prominently featured in that is the separation of church and state. And the Supreme Court also ruled last week that uh, that the state, they're sorry, not the state, I guess, <laughs> the feds can now fund uh, Christian schools. Um, is that something you support? Yes, absolutely. And it's something that we need to get back to in our country. And that is that um, we need to get back to our religious roots. We need to get back to the fact that uh, our, our country was founded on, on the premises of God and, and our belief in God and, and that we would continue to be that way in a country. And I think that that's one of the biggest problems that we have in our country right now is that we've gotten away from God. I think one of the worst um, decisions ever made by the Supreme Court, aside from Roe versus Wade, was taking prayer out of the schools. I, I, I still think they got that wrong. And I applaud what was what the Supreme Court did with the coach out in Washington State and in, in Oregon and in the Northwest and allowing him the freedom of speech and the freedom to pray on on the field after a game. Do you think we should fund other religious schools besides Christianity? Well, that'll be up to the courts to see. And um, certainly that's um, that's something that, you know, that's why we have three different um, branches of government. And that's up to the judicial branch. Yes, it is. Uh, and I do want to close with the uh, Savannah Combat Readiness Training Center. It's open, man. How, how did we do it? How did that happen? Well, it was a bipartisan effort. Let me make that clear. Um, yes, I was the leader and I was the one most vocal about it, but I have to applaud the entire Georgia delegation, both Republicans and Democrats. We came together in a bipartisan way and we made it clear that, that, that this could not happen, that this was going to have a negative impact, not only on our community, uh, not only on the readiness of our troops, but for our country, that we did not need to be closing any combat readiness training centers. I want to thank both senators for their help in this, as well as Republican and Democratic members of the, of the House who all came together to make sure that we were able to get this back into the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, and it is back in there now. Now, we've still got a ways to go to keep it in there, but we're going to make sure we continue on with that. Yeah, it will be here. Though. So that's 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 great news, man. Uh, buddy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Will. Always a pleasure. Yeah, same to you, man. Have a good day and good luck. Okay, man. Adam here again. Thank you to Congressman Carter for the time. Before Will speaks with Carter's opponent, Wade Hearing, allow me to squeeze in a public service announcement regarding the Savannah Morning News. I know a lot of readers out there consume our news content in the print edition. Thank you. We love you for it. Keep doing it. But we'd also like to encourage you to take a moment, go to your computer or cell phone, and join our communities there, especially on your cell phone. You always can, can squeeze in a story somewhere along the way when you're waiting on something and easiest ways right on your cell phone at savannahnow.com you can activate the digital side of your subscription by logging in through the link at the top right hand corner of the homepage. 
And on mobile, you can download our app, log in, and have access, including notifications, to all of our content. Again, access to those platforms are included in your print subscription price. Take advantage today. Now, here's Will's discussion with Wade Herring. Today, I'm joined by first congressional district candidate Wade Herring. Wade is a Democrat. He's a Savannah lawyer, and he's running against Buddy Carter this year. Um, Wade, I guess to start off with, let's just ask the the most obvious question up front. Why do you think you're a better choice for the first district than Buddy Carter? Well, as I've, I've, I have explained before, on January the 6th, when Mr. Carter stood to vote to overturn the election, he violated his oath of office to protect the Constitution. That's a congressional representative's fundamental job, protect the Constitution, to protect the peaceful transition of power, to honor the voice of the people. And he violated that fundamental job. And he has forfeited his right to remain in office. A democracy depends upon a respect for the Constitution and for institutions like fair and free elections and that peaceful transition of power and the long-term interests of the executive branch and the legislative branch. He violated all of that on January the 6th. Gotcha. Um, so uh, you just came out of the runoff, uh, which was quite the comeback from the primary because you didn't win any counties in the primary. You didn't have the most votes in any county. That's not how it's counted, but it's a metric that I think is a neat stat. But you came back and you won. Um, a lot of it came from Chatham County itself. Um, between the primary and the runoff, um, did your strategy shift? What did you start doing differently, if anything? Well, uh, we made sure that the voters knew who I am and what I'm about and my long record of service to this community. And we focused on fundamental differences and policy issues between the other candidate and myself. And we made sure the voters understood those differences. So that was that those two things, making sure the voters knew me and making sure that they understood the difference in the two candidates left in the runoff on, on a couple of fundamental policy issues. Gotcha. Um, uh, so I, I spoke with Buddy Carter yesterday um, and without really bringing it up, he did, he did mention uh, that you guys go to the same church. I asked him, I, I just said that he knew Wade and he was like, yeah. And he doesn't really like that you bring up that, Y'all go to the same church. I'm not trying to like pit you against each other, but they want to ask, um, how are you approaching this campaign since you know Buddy Carter? Like you, you've attended the same church as him. You, you know him personally. I don't know how close you guys are, but um, that's different than a typical campaign, right? It is different, and the reason that I have brought that up is because he's not an abstract person to me. Um, we go to the same church. We've sat on boards together. Um, he knows better, but has refused to do better 
And that is why January 6th is so deeply offensive. I mean, I don't care who it is, it's wrong. But but this isn't some person I just know from TV or reading the newspaper. I know him. And it's fundamentally wrong what he did on January 6th. Gotcha. Um, so uh, on to campaigning uh, against Buddy Carter as you go into this. Uh, where do you think this campaign will be won? Are there areas that you feel like you could perform more strongly in? Is there a demographic group? Is there a political leaning? Um, you've mentioned before you're trying to pull from the center right people who are um, who've maybe been Carter voters before, but were upset by his actions on January 6. Where, where do you think that? Uh, I don't know. Where are you going to win this from? Because typically Democrats do not win this district. Right. Well, I intend to be a representative for everybody in the district. And we intend to communicate that I represent everybody uh, in the district, that everybody has a voice. And again, for those people who understand the importance of the foundation's of our country, the Constitution, the legislative branch, the peaceful transfer of power. I think those things are important to all kinds of voters. And and that will be the message that we communicate. In addition to those things, uh, the things that I've talked about consistently, the importance of protecting voting rights, the importance of accessible, affordable health care, particularly earlier on in people's lives. The importance of education, again, especially for younger children and, and yes, daycare. The importance of protecting this very special place where we live. Uh, I will continue to talk about those things and communicate those things. And I think those issues resonate across all kinds of voters. People want someone who's representing the families of the first district. We don't have that right now. I intend to be that representative. Gotcha. And and how do you win that? Um, uh, Early on, we talked a lot about campaign money. You know, you're getting a lot of donations very quickly and almost all of them, if not all of them were individual contributions. You told me that was a sign that, that people wanted change and they were willing to put their money where their mouth was. Um, where does that money go now? Where do you, where do you put it into? Is it campaign ads? Is it paying your staff? What's, where does that go to? Well, all of the above. Um, uh, and, and I've said, and we'll repeat now, I wish money did not play the role that it does. Uh, Mr. Carter has a whole lot of money, um, already on hand. The money goes to yes, to staff. It goes to paid communications. It goes to making sure you've got a game on the ground and, and are reaching voters and, and, and understanding the importance of showing up to vote on election day. All of those things are where uh, money for, for a campaign goes. We've talked a little bit about issues as well. Um, and that's something that uh, is important in the race. And I don't care <laughs> who you are. You know, that's that's the one that does it. What are the issues that you're harping on uh, in this race? What are the stances that you have personally that you believe will help you beat Buddy Carter? Well, again, um, January 6th. I mean, we learned last week that the then president of the United States 
told the Department of Justice, just say it is corrupt and leave the rest up to me and the Republican congressman. That is sworn testimony, basically uncontested. Mr. Carter was one of those Republican congressmen. Health care, voting rights, education, protecting our environment, admitting the reality of climate change. Now, more recently, um, uh, a woman's right to choose. There's a very, very clear difference between Mr. Carter and me. He's just recently said he would support a federal abortion ban with zero exceptions. That is contrary to the will of the people and the, and the interests of the families of this district and a very, very clear difference between the two of us. Gotcha. And this is a question I asked Buddy Carter yesterday, actually. Um, what are the concerns you're hearing from the Black voters in the district, uh, and specifically to the Black community within the first district? What are the issues that they care about? Well, when I talk about voting rights, uh, the Black community has been disproportionately impacted by voting suppression measures. When we talk about access to affordable health care, they've been disparately impacted by the lack of that access. Uh, education is a transformational power for all of us, uh, but including uh, a way out of poverty for persons who are living in poverty. Climate change and climate justice. Um, we've got three, depending upon how you count it, four Superfund sites in this district. Uh, those Superfund sites have a disparate impact on communities of color. And, and when we talk, let me go ahead and bring up something related. Uh, uh, the I-16 uh, overpass uh, split that community and in some ways destroyed that community. Let's take advantage of the funding that's available uh, I want to be part of that fight so that we can reroute that entrance into Savannah and help restore that community. So those are the kinds of things that I hear from black voters and, and that they have a voice in Washington, that they feel like someone is taking the time to listen to them and ask them what's important to you. And I don't think they feel that way right now. Gotcha. Um, uh, that was actually part of a, a recent article by uh, Craig Nelson uh, from The Current over there. Uh, I sourced a lot of anonymous black voters from around this district about your run, and a lot of them were pretty critical of you. Uh, quote, he has a black community problem. I wanted to get your thoughts on that and give you a chance to respond to that. Well, uh, I understand the criticism, and uh, I'm, I've always been a listener and a learner. And I will continue to listen and learn from that kind of feedback. Um, I think that I've worked really, really hard uh, to, uh, to be in the Black community. I certainly had a large number of endorsements from uh, Black leaders and elected officials, present and former. Um, I was in a lot of places of faith. And, and felt support from those places of faith and the leaders there. Um, and uh, I won the runoff with all kinds of voters, but including black voters. I could not have won that runoff the way that I did without black voters. So I, I'm willing to continue to listen and to learn. 
but but uh, I, I think I've done a good job already. I think I can do a better job going forward. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and that kind of answered the next question I had, which was how you convince the black community, which is required to win the district, uh, that you have their best interests at heart. Um, uh, I guess, what do those visits entail when you go to these churches, when you talk to these folks, when you're out there in the community? Um, do you feel the fatigue for white Democrats uh, who are making all these promises to the black community? Do you feel like you're fighting against that? I don't. No, no. To the contrary. Um, my Sunday mornings have been energizing. Uh, they have been affirming. They have given me hope uh, for our country. People of faith of all colors uh, understand that what a democracy is fundamentally about is recognizing that all of God's children uh, have a place at the table. So, no, I haven't sensed fatigue at all on, on Sunday mornings. Uh, it, it's been very, very powerful. And, and uh, it's really hard for me to express in words how powerful that experience has been for me. Another um, thing that was brought up in that current article was that you supposedly have very few black staffers. How many black staffers do you have, ballpark percentage? Well, um, my treasurer is is black has been from the very beginning and then uh, people working for me uh in uh liberty county glenn county all across the district are black we've had an intern collegiate program with high school and in college kids uh kids from all kinds of ethnic backgrounds uh so so it's all kinds of volunteers including black folks. So, so I couldn't give you a definite count. We've got all kinds of people volunteering for us and working for us and working really, really hard. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Uh, I'd like to move on to abortion now uh, and Roe v. Wade being overturned. Uh, you said before that you would support legislation that would officially codify abortion rights uh, if you are elected to Congress. Um, what is the process for that? And what, what sort of reprieves can the left expect um, if that route is pursued? Well, at the federal level, that would mean congressional action, and it would have to pass uh, both houses. Um, it, a bill already passed the House of Representatives. It failed in the Senate. Uh, perhaps there's some room uh, to work on some compromise, but I feel strongly that a woman's right to choose should be federal law, should be national law. Right now, it's gone back to the states, which is what the reversal of Roe v. Wade meant. And it, and it means chaos and confusion. And it means some women don't have access to that kind of health care. Um, you know, some women are going to be able to afford to travel to a state where the laws are more representative of a woman's right to choose, but other women aren't going to be able to do that. And so what we have now is, is again, it's chaos and confusion and it's unfair. It's just fundamentally unfair. And so we need a national bill that, that codifies a woman's right to choose. Gotcha. Um, what, what have you done since last week? Not necessarily like hard action, but since the, the decision came down, 
Um, what is what has been the reaction to your constituents? Have you talked to people about it being overturned? What what advice do you have for people in the first district who feel like, especially women, who feel like they are no longer uh, protected? Um, the reaction of people I've talked to, uh, they're angry. Um, they are discouraged. Uh, to a certain extent, they're all still processing all of this. Uh, at the same time, they're encouraged and grateful that there's a candidate in this district who has so clearly and unequivocally stated his position. And of course, I was doing that before the decision uh, last Friday. I, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not reacting to that. I've, I've, been, I've made my position on this very clear much earlier in my campaign. So, um, uh, and it's not just a woman issue. It's, 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 it's a male issue. It's a family issue. So, so the reaction I've gotten for people is uh, they are as, as discouraged and angry and disheartened as they are, they are encouraged that here in the first district, there's someone who says that's a, that, that women should have the right to choose and that needs to be federal legislation. Yeah. Um, something that I've seen also kind of to the contrary of that has been people who are, you know, who they vote Democrat, they're on the left side, they lean liberal, um, but they started to see this is just another, you know, donation incentive from the Democratic Party, just people, something to make them angry, something to make them go vote. And, you know, we the Democrats have been in control of the House, the Senate and the presidency for, you know, the last couple of years. And yet, you know, the opportunity to stop this was there. How will you convince people that, you know, because you're a Democrat, because you're looking to be elected as a Democrat, that you are actually going to do something about it? Well, anybody who knows me uh, knows that if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I, I, I think this issue of a woman's right to choose, and, it, and it's a larger health issue. Uh, uh, my daughter is a doctor that there is no way that politicians belong in that exam room between a woman and her healthcare provider. Uh, so it's, it, it, it's, it's, uh, I think it's, I think what's happened is just wrong for the country. It's wrong for our families. It's wrong for the medical profession. Um, uh, this, this is not a fundraiser keynote for me this 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 is fundamentally wrong to take away these rights that have been in place for 50 years and now to create as i said earlier this chaos and confusion and unfairness in our country that's wrong congress needs to act do you think the democratic party could have done more to stop the overturning of roe v wade the, the supreme court is a separate branch of Government. Oh no, I know how it works, but and, what you're talking about is action outside of the Supreme Court. And that is without them. Could the Democratic Party have done anything about this before it happened? It would be strange to me to uh for Congress to anticipate that the Supreme Court is going to do something so radical as to uh eliminate a constitutional right that's been in place for 50 years. And, and, and let me go a step further. 
it's not just the issue about a woman's right to choose. It's about the right to privacy. And Clarence Thomas, Justice Clarence Thomas, in his concurring opinion, so we're not, this isn't speculation. This is an exaggeration. An associate justice of the Supreme Court put in writing as part of the majority opinion, but in his concurring opinion, that, that the Supreme Court needs to re-examine all of the privacy line of cases. So that's contraception. That's who you can marry. It's a whole host of things. I mean, it, it, this is very, very serious. Uh, so, so should the Congress have anticipated that the Supreme Court should have done something so radical? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's an equal branch of government. I don't think so. But we know now. Yeah, now we know. Now we know. And it's time to act. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that was, that was really ultimately what my question ended up being. Because, you know, it is. That's, that's all potentially something that's on the chopping block now. Things that we've enjoyed as rights for years are now being called in question by Clarence Thomas, you know. Um, anyway, just wanted to bring that out there. That's something I've been seeing lately from uh, some of my left-leaning friends. Um, yeah. Parting thoughts. What, what, uh, anything, anything you want the district to know, what, what is your message overall? If you had to boil it down into like a 20 second soundbite. Sure. <laughs> it's time we had a representative who listens to people, uh, who is about problem solving. Who's about hope, not fear. Who's about unity, not division is about common sense, not no sense. And, and uh, that's who I am. And that's who I will be as a representative for the people of this district. Thank you so much for joining us today, Wade. Thank you. That's all for the Thursday Commute Podcast. Thanks one last time to our presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. Before I sign off, remember that we publish new commute episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Whatever your interests, you will find interviews of interest in our archives. Search The Commute with that Savannah Opinion on your favorite podcast app. The Commute returns next Tuesday. We will talk to you then. Mm-hmm.